Good day, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Peloton Interactive Fourth Quarter 22 Earnings Call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1-1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded, and we will take one minute to uh, assemble the queue after uh, the safe harbor. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Peter Stabler. Head of Investor Relations, please go ahead. Good morning. Welcome to Peloton's fiscal fourth quarter conference call. Joining today's call are CEO Barry McCarthy and CFO Liz Coddington. Our comments and responses to your questions reflect management's views as of today only, and will include statements related to our business that are forward-looking statements under federal securities law. Actual results may differ materially from those contained in or implied by these forward-looking statements due to risks and uncertainties associated with our business. For a discussion of the material risks and other important factors that could impact our actual results, please refer to our SEC filings and today's shareholder letter, both of which can be found on our Investor Relations website. During this call, we will discuss both GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures. A reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP financial measures is provided in today's shareholder letter. I'll now turn the call over to our operator to take our first question. Operator? As, as a reminder, that star one one to ask a question. We'll go ahead and take a minute for the queue to uh, assemble. All right, and our first question will come from the line of Justin Post from Bank of America. Your line is open. Great, thanks. A couple. Um, first, when you when you said churn about 141, and I think it would be lower if you adjust for Canada, is that what you're looking for in the first quarter, um, or is it is the adjusted uh, with with Canada? And then secondly, just thinking about the shape of the year, um, looking for flattish subs in the first quarter. How are you thinking about holiday seasonality uh, going forward, and, and what needs to happen to get to break-even cash flow? Thank you. Take the first two parts, and I'll do the cash flow. Um, so uh, the first question, um, I, I believe if I understand correctly, was related to churn and what our expectations are for the first quarter. Um, as, as we mentioned in our shareholder letter, uh, we saw a, a modest increase in our monthly churn um, and uh, for Q4, and that was that was related um, to our all-access subscription price increase that we had in June. Um, I'm happy to say, though, that for July we saw churn levels decline from June and decline from the Q4 average. So we expect um, our attention levels to remain attractive. Our engagement trend suggests that churn will continue to remain low um, in the first quarter and for the rest of the year. Um, with regard to the flat subs. Um, you know, seasonally, Q1 is a low-growth quarter for connected fitness product sales. Um, we did in increase prices on Bike Plus and Tread, and that took effect on 812. And um, while we do expect our Q1 churn to remain low, as I said before, our volume of connected fitness growth additions in Q1 is expected to be offset by churn due to the size of the subbase. Now, how does that play for seasonality going forward for the rest of the year? Um, you know, we're not providing any full-year guidance on revenue or subscribers, but we do expect revenue for the year to most closely resemble 
the seasonality um, for fiscal 22 in terms of revenue per quarter. Hopefully that's helpful. And, and then the, I think the third part of the question, Justin, was the very cash flow where we have to get to breaking cash flow. Um, and the short answer is, and not to be glib, we need to right size the spending of the business to the run rate of the business, whatever the run rate of the business turns out to be. And then secondly, and I made this point um, when I first joined the company, both employees and to investors, it's not enough to just cut expenses. We have to grow revenue. Um, and um, we've taken a number of steps in order to accomplish that objective. Um, we have substantially picked up the pace of innovation and testing and risk-taking in order to accomplish that objective. Among the new initiatives are fitness as a service, um, the sale of previously owned bikes, um, evolution of our digital app uh, strategy, which we'll have more to say over the next several months, um, um, among other initiatives um, like the introduction of the, of the rower and the new pricing strategy. Um, so we happen to sit right smack in the middle of the pivot where we've we have made substantial progress addressing all of the infrastructure-related headwinds of the business, um, and and now it's time to get back to the business of, of expanding the franchise. We do that principally by expanding the TAM, and we do that principally with a good, better, best strategy um, that, that targets not only the premium segment of the market, but the value segment of the market and the use case for connected fitness with competitive platforms. That's great. I'll let someone else ask more questions. Thanks. Thank you. And one moment for our next question. Our next question comes from the line of Doug Anmuth from J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Thanks for taking the questions. Um, you've had multiple product price changes over the past several months. Just trying to understand how comfortable you are now with the most recently revised pricing that creates this greater gap between entry level and premium products, and then how you're going to communicate those options in your marketing. And then, um, Barry, if you could perhaps also update us on fitness as a service, um, how we should be thinking about kind of full full rollout and how you'll increase awareness uh, around the product going forward. Thanks. Um, Doug, I had a difficulty hearing, but the, I think the first part of the question is about pricing generally. Yes. Um, yes. And then loans in the market. And the second piece of the question is about fast. How do we think about it? And what are our plans exactly. for it? Okay. Let me begin with fast, and then if I miss anything, I'm going to ask Liz to jump in on top. So um, we've sort of gradually expanded the, the footprint for FAST and our marketing initiatives around FAST. We're selling, selling, renting at a pace of, in round numbers, 30 to 40,000 units on an annual basis. So it's, you know, it's, it's a relatively small footprint, and we haven't really leaned into it yet. We and it begs the question why, because we've been at it for a while. And the answer is, in order to know whether or not um, 
the value proposition works for consumers and works for Peloton, we need to understand what the retention behavior is and the implied churn rate so we can calculate lifetime value and figure out whether or not um, we've created a nuclear bomb or we're um, for the path to the promised land. And I would say so far, we're encouraged by the churn data we've seen, um, recognizing that, you know, it's a, it's a growing but limited sample. Um, so I'm guardedly optimistic. I would say that I would think a win for us might be something like 125 to 150,000 um, bikes a year, renters, um, and the ability which we um, have just brought online um, to utilize a certified pre-owned inventory um, uh, to um, to fulfill demand under that program. Um, so I would say net-net, um, that looks pretty encouraging. Now, there will be some substitution behavior, I think, between certified pre-owned and, and growth in fitness as a service because it both target basically the same segment of the marketplace, which is the, the value-minded shopper. Um, and it's, it's pretty clear that we are bringing into the Peloton family uh, uh, a younger, slightly more female demo than we have historically, which is good news. It means we're, those, those programs are expanding the TAM. Now, as it relates to CPO, you said we'd seen substantially better performance. We we offer very small numbers, so you know, take it with a grain of salt. We outperformed our forecast by 3x, um, and we have a lot of bikes in inventory, uh, used bikes um, that we can recycle into that program. We've been talking about it for a year. We finally got it live. Um, we're going to lean into it. Remains to be seen how big that program can become, and as it scales, what the what the substitution behavior will be with the fitness of the service. Okay, I'll probably talk too long about that, sorry. As it, as it relates to pricing, I, I want us to pursue a good, better, best strategy. So um, we believe, and I think the net promoter scores for our, our various products support the, the notion that um, in the premium segment of the marketplace, the integrated hardware user experience from Peloton is the absolute best, and there are people who are willing to pay a premium for that, um, and we want to serve that marketplace well. But we also want, if we're going to grow our revenues as fast as we would like, we're going to have to increase the TAM. And if we're going to increase the TAM, we're going to have to reach for new market segments, and that's where the, the good and better comes in. And that's where the fast and fitness as a service and the digital app strategy comes into play. And with respect to the digital app strategy, I had previously um, told investors that I wanted us to pursue a premium strategy. We are going to implement that. There will be various price points, um, and you'll have access to different kinds of content depending on how much you pay for the digital app. Roughly half of our paying customers today use are connected fitness-related content on the app, so it's quite clear they're using the app on somebody else's hardware, um, which is something we've always shied away from, and going forward is something we're going to lean into. I would be delighted for you to use our, our content on somebody else's hardware if you already purchased it. That's a big installed base, 
and I think it's a big opportunity for monetization for us, and we're going to lean into that segment of the market as well in order to grow TAM. So we'll figure out the pricing as we go. I think it's if we have the luxury like we do now because of our cash position and the changes we've made in the business to price products um, in order to earn a reasonable return on hardware, we will. Um, that wasn't the case earlier in the year. We absolutely needed to liquidate hardware to manage for cash, so we did, but we put that in the rearview mirror at the moment. Did I answer your question? You did. Very helpful. Thank you, Barry. Yep. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question on the line, uh, Ron Josie from City. Your line is open. Great. Thanks for taking the question. And I wanted to ask maybe um, bigger picture on gross margins. And Barry, I know we talked about the focus being on free cash flow, but help us understand how, how you view gross margins, maybe on the subscription side, given the pricing increase, and then on the product side as you exit manufacturing and last mile and, and fast gain share here, just just as you know, we think bigger picture on the way towards free cash flow. And maybe a second one just on that um, any insight or help us understand how you view inventory discontinuity coming down um, going forward? Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask Liz to take the, the gross margin um, subscription and bigger picture piece, and I'll just take the inventory liquidation. Um, I think there might be a perception that because we have we have a large inventory position that we will be liquidating during FY23. We will have a large wind at our back from a free cash flow perspective that will help us achieve our objectives in FY23, but we will not have the benefit of an FY24. Uh, and I, I just want to burst that balloon and say, actually, on a net basis, the benefit in FY23 will be all of $6 million, roughly. And the reason for that is we have the benefit, of course, of selling inventory we've already paid for, but we also, um, in settlement of the supply-related um, issues that we've dealt with in the past several quarters, um, we have quite a bit of money um, flowing out the door. So on a net basis, it's, it's sort of a no harm, no foul. Um, and I think for the full year, if we're successful um, in managing to our current forecast, we'll end the year with about a, a billion in cash, which leaves us you know, well capitalized for the run rate of the business. Liz, um, do you want to address the gross margin piece of the question? Yeah. So, um, so with regard to gross margin, the way we think about the, the way I think about gross margin is there's kind of two pieces, right? There's the um, the revenue piece, which um, We've, we increased the prices for bike pulse and tread, and so that's going to obviously have a positive effect on gross margin overall. Um, and then, you know, from a cost of goods perspective, uh, we decided to fully outsource our last mile delivery to 3 pls We announced that that will have a positive impact on our delivery costs. Um, we're also focusing on improving our delivery quality. That should also help reduce our warranty costs over time. And then kind of more of a longer-term opportunity on gross margin, this is related to the connected fitness side of it, um, is, you know, opportunities to reduce the cost of our hardware through how we design our products. But that's obviously like a longer-term a longer -term opportunity. Let me just jump in and mention related to that um, is redesigned to enable um, self-install, um, which would dramatically change um, the logistics and the cost associated with last mile. Yep. 
domestically and internationally. And um, I did want to reiterate that for Q1, we provided a guidance of around 35% gross margin, but we're not providing any further guidance for the year beyond that at this time. You also had a question about kind of subscription gross margin, and, and obviously that is, um, you know, we, that, that margin is, is, is higher than our product growth, our connected fitness product gross margin as our subscription base continues to grow and mature. That will naturally have some benefits to gross margin overall as well. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Liz. One moment for our next question. Our next question is off the line of Lauren Shank from Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. Great, thanks. Just following up on that last one, how should we think about sort of the, the longer term or stabilized um, connected fitness gross margin? And my second question, in terms of the, the self-install option, is that only going to be available on Amazon for, for the time being? Any color on, on the margin benefit from that? It looks like pricing is similar or the same as, as having the professional delivery. Um, and then in terms of, of other potential third-party partners, um, what are you looking for in, in those new relationships? Thanks. Um, well, let's see. As it relates to long-term gross margin, I, I think increasingly the business is driven by the growth in recurring subscription revenue. Um, that has an inherently higher margin than the hardware side of the business. And so the long-term trend for margin is uh, towards the, 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 the software margin rather than the hardware margin. Um, the cost implications for self-install, um, <clears throat> well, let me talk about the implications of self-install generally. Um, one of the challenges related to the delivery of hardware is um, coordinating the delivery schedule with the availability of the members who purchased hardware. And um, if we could move to a dropship model, we eliminate all or the majority of that friction, which would be a very good thing. Um, secondly, if in the process of designing a self-install, capability, we were able to decrease the weight uh, of the unit. There's some last mile cost related benefits that would flow through to us as well. Um, and then lastly, if we can get to a self-install, um, we think it significantly um, improves the opportunities for international growth, um, which we plan to lean into when we are able to absorb the incremental cost for that expansion. And then there was a question generally about um, third-party retail partners. Uh, in my previous comments to investors, um, I had indicated this was a strategy that I hope we would lean into. Um, it's early. We're learning. Um, this is not a substitute for uh, our own retail strategy. Um, this is a recognition that we need to be where our customers are. Sometimes that's in the store. Sometimes that's on our website. Um, we know from our own research that um, there are roughly 500,000 searches a day on Amazon for a month, excuse me, a month um, for, for Peloton. Um, and so there's an opportunity to sell there and, and in other 
um, retail formats as well. And, and it's important that we um, test and learn by broadening our distribution to see which of those um, could be cost effective for us. And then we'll, over time, as we come to understand the margin implications, you know, that would be great. In time, it would be terrific if we could broaden the, the distribution to um, other Peloton hardware platforms on Amazon. But at the moment, um, um, we need to be able to be drop shipped um, in order to be on their platform and our tread um, um, and our bike plus doesn't lend itself to that solution yet, and which is why it's not yet we have not yet offered it for sale on on their on their platform. But you know, we'll, we, in time, I hope that we are able to find a solution to that um, short-term roadblock. Take your next question, please. Thank you. One more for next question. Next question comes from the line of Edward Ruma from Piper Sandler. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Good morning. Thanks for taking the question. I wanted to click down a little bit on engagement. I know you're going to stop reporting metrics on a quarterly basis, but you know, how do you think about engagement holistically? Obviously, I know lots of moving pieces post-COVID uh, and seasonality, but you know, what, where do you see engagement going over time, and is there anything you can do to help drive that number higher? Thank you. So, so let me jump in here. Um, I said I wanted to lean into 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 software. It's important that we be that we be great at both hardware and software. But the, I think the primary growth opportunity for us is in ex exploiting our our singularly unique competitive advantage, which is our content. Right? It is it is the it's the crown jewel. It it um, and it has continued to perform spectacularly well. Now, um, for you to be able to enjoy it, you have to be able to discover it. And um, and the way we improve engagement and lower churn and increase lifetime value and drive more organic growth from word of mouth is by making you more delighted with that content. And the way we do that is, is by helping you engage with it, by understanding, by personalizing it, um, by giving it a front end that understands what your likes and dislikes are, and then serving you content that um, is consistent with your, your preferences. Uh, this is what, this is why Netflix beat Blockbuster. And um, this is among the reasons that Spotify has run the table as the, as the world's largest streaming user service. Um, and the more content you have, um, the more important it becomes that you be good, even great, um, at building that personalized user interface. So um, it is currently a focus for us, and, and, and we will be relentless about it. And I would say we're still really in very early stages. I mean, there's a little bit of stuff we serve you that, it, you know, if you if you use a bike by web example, there's a little bit of stuff on your screen when you log in that reflects, you know, 
maybe reflect some of the instructors you've taken classes from, but there's a ton of stuff that we continue to serve to you that, you know, you have never engaged with that, you know, reflects what we think you should be interested in, but what really matters is what you think you should be interested in. And, and so we need to close that gap. Next question, Victor, please. Thank you. One moment. Our next question will come from the line of Eric Sheridan from Goldman Sachs. Your line is open. Thanks so much for taking the questions. Maybe just a two-parter. You know, how are you thinking about uh, the health of the brand today? You know, you came out of the pandemic with a lot of awareness of the brand and a lot of halo effect, uh, but sales and marketing has been more of a, uh, an area of reduction in the last couple of quarters. So how do you think about sort of returning to sales and marketing as a channel uh, continuing to grow awareness of the brand and, and use sales and marketing as a tool uh, to address sort of the better best strategy you talked about in terms of uh, amplifying the gross addition dynamic for the platform. Thanks. Uh, thanks for the question, Eric. Um, fortunately, I think the health of the brand is exquisitely good. The health of the business has been challenged, but the brand remains beloved and the net promoter scores remain extraordinary. Um, if, if you are what your track record says you are, we are a U.S.-based bike company, right? 96% of, of hardware, of the hardware platforms in people's homes today are bikes. But there's so much more opportunity available to us um, to drive growth. Um, not just Bike Plus, but the tread, the rower, the guide, um, and and especially the digital app, and coupled with the good, better, best strategy that opened up segment of the TAM we haven't, you know, historically targeted. And the opportunity for us now is to invest in growing awareness. Um, by way of example, um, the bike has a 53% unaided awareness, but the tread is only 21%. The unaided awareness for the digital app is 4%. And so there's tremendous upside to be had if we can execute here. And um, in part, the principal message of my letter is, okay, I'm pivoting now. There are a bunch of things we had to fix in order to put ourselves in this position, which did it happen sooner, but it's happening now. And we're gonna tackle head on this challenge related to marketing and growth. And what I've tried to articulate is, is, is the, the, the different initiatives that we're gonna pursue um, in, in order to drive success. The important thing to recognize is that the path to success involves having more swings at the plate um, and, and so you've seen us deploy a number of initiatives to accomplish that objective. And we're going to connect with the ball. It's just a matter of time. And I, I know from my Netflix experience and my Spotify experience, I can't tell you exactly which one of those initiatives um, is, is, is going to get us where we want to go. But, but I am confident of the cumulative effect. Next question, please, Victor. Thank you. 
Our next question comes from the line of Shweta Kajuria from Evercore ISI. Your line is open. Okay, thank you for taking my questions. Uh, I won on the uh, next quarter guide, so I think this was uh, somewhat asked earlier, but I just want to get a little bit more clarification. If you uh, exclude the Canadian members in, um, in the guide, organically does that imply net ads decline? Uh, because 85% of members actually did take the action. So could you please clarify that? Second is on gross margins. Possible to get a little bit more color on the magnitude of impact from the price increases versus the cost-cutting actions that you took uh, related to customer service and, and um, uh, outsourcing third-party logistics. And then the final question is, Barry, as you think about growth next year, possible to uh, give a sense of how fast, um, if at all, the connected fitness market is expected to grow, and in terms of the magnitude of the impact of all these initiatives, whether it is FAAS or international or digital subscription um, app initiatives, which ones do you think in order of magnitude will be most impactful um, next year? Thank you very much. This is deciding how she wants to. Well, I'm, I'm trying to make sure I understand your question, Shreda. So the, the first question was about um, the Canadian subscribers. I, I think what you were asking is, you know, if that implies a negative net ads as a result of the fact that these subscribers turn, but not. They're not a gross ad. They're not a gross ad. So they, if, if they had not churned, it just it, it wouldn't be an impact. Is the way that I sort of think about that. Um, so I'm not really. It's not. They're not a. They're not considered a gross ad. Is effectively the way that we would think about that. Um, so it shows up in the net, not the gross number. Correct. Correct. Um, the gross margin question. I wasn't quite following what you were asking there. That. How much of the gross margin? Try to correct me if I'm wrong. How much of the gross margin improvement comes from last mile? member service reduction as opposed to price increase. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. One moment. No, no, no Victor, we're not we're not finished with this question yet. Well, well Liz is noodling on that. Let me uh, let me jump in on the uh, connected fitness market uh, next year. Uh, honestly, I don't pretend to know um, what's going to happen to the marketplace as a result of uh, different puts and calls in the, with the economy. Um, I think the challenge for us, regardless, is to is to grow the TAN and to reach market segments that we don't currently reach in order to accomplish that objective. So, um, which leads me to uh, answer to your question: Where do I think will be the principal leverage points for the business? Um, uh, I'm going to put Rower on the shelf for, for a moment in answering that question. Um, probably certified pre-owned. That, that just flew out the door. Um, followed by, in my nirvana, it would be followed by growth in the digital app. Um, because I think that is singularly important to us from a strategic perspective, and if we're successful with that initiative, we'll unlock uh, access to the, to the installed base of competitive hardware and, and use occasions that don't currently exist for 
our content, followed by fitness as a service. And if fitness as a service really takes off, then there's a whole capital strategy that we'll we'll need to figure out for that business. But I'm I'm confident that that we'll have access to the to the capital if if the margins are as attractive as we think and if it's if it's really growing as fast as, as you know we think it it might. Um, and then I said I I put Rover on the on the shelf. Um, you know we we will have to see how that product does when it arrives. Um, it's going to be expensive, but I think we're going to revolutionize the, the market, and we'll see how those two cross currents land. Um, but we anticipate that it will be a significantly better user experience than anything currently available in the marketplace. Okay. Um, for the growth margin question, um, I think you were asking, like, how should we think about the composition of the growth margin improvement and how much is coming from price and how much is coming from our uh, 3PL uh, logistics um, moving, moving to the 3PL outsourcing model for last mile logistics. In Q1, the vast majority is going to come from pricing because we just announced the move to outsource the 3PL to third parties, and so that will take a bit of time. Over the course of the year, we still expect more of it, um, more than 50%, uh, to come from the pricing, um, and, but the logistics will be very impactful, and it will, be, it will be meaningful over the course of the year. Does that help? Does that answer your question, Shweta? Next question, please, Victor. All right, one moment. Our next question comes from the line of Camille Gajarala from Credit Suisse. Your line is open. Hi, thanks. Good morning, everybody. Um, can you talk a little bit about the consumer and maybe the interaction between um, in-person studios and gyms and connected fitness? Obviously, the industry is down quite a bit, and there's a lot of macro effects, but can you maybe just talk about what you might be seeing in terms of the pendulum maybe swinging one direction to the other? Uh, you know, let's see. I'm not sure that our experience is, is um, translates um, to the experience of our competitors. I think it, it probably doesn't. Um, in our uniquely different ecosystem where we've just opened up our studios, um, the amount of energy and uh, amongst our passionate user base is, well, it's just something to behold. Um, people lined up around the block for hours, um, classes oversold, crashing our reservation systems. I mean, it's just insane. Um, and, you know, that, that's not what the industry is experiencing, you know, generally. Now, that fact notwithstanding, notwithstanding the, the passionate enthusiasm among their rapid member base, as a percentage of total classes taken live, relatively small, but it has an enormous halo effect. Um, and drives tremendous word of mouth, I think, all of which helps, you know, uh, grow the brand. Is that helpful? Yeah, that helps. Would you consider expanding the in-person studios and such? Obviously, you have a lot of excitement so far, but it's you know, fairly small. I, I think there's an opportunity. You have a lot of 
excitement so far, but it's you know, fairly small. I, I think there's an opportunity. I'll tell you how we are thinking about it. Um, um, Jen Cotter, who runs that business for us spectacularly well, uh, and I have spent time thinking about ways in which to create marketing and branding and PR opportunities um, on a local basis um, using the celebrity power of our instructors in, in different geographic markets. So um, if we were to expand, I think that would be the, the sort of the, the kernel of an idea that we would try to leverage um, geographically rather than opening, say, incremental studios around the Around the around the country, um, just because the the cost of doing that is so prohibitively high. Thank you. One moment. Our next question will come from the line of John Backledge from Callen. Your line is open. Oh, great. Thanks. Uh, two questions. First. Um, how should we think about the retail store footprint in fiscal 23 and beyond? And the second question on cash flow break even, is there any way to kind of think about the level of top line in second half 23 to get to that uh, cash flow break even number? Thank you. I'll let Liz take the, the second one. Let me do the retail footprint. Um, I don't, we don't know how many stores we're going to end up with when the when the dust settles. Our objective um, is to repurpose about $50 million worth of of, of run rate spending um, to deploy it more productively from a marketing perspective when the dust has settled um, and, um, and and we are done uh, restructuring uh, the retail footprint. Um, domestically and, and internationally. Liz, do you want to do the, the capital? The, the cash flow question cash flow. and thinking about revenue. Um, as we mentioned, you know, that we are pulling all these different levers on the business right now. And so there's a lot of uncertainty about how the how these levers will bear out. And so we're not we're not providing any full year guidance on revenue, but we did expect it to follow the seasonality in terms of revenue per quarter for prior years. Now, that being said, from a cash flow perspective, um, you know, we do have this North Star goal that we are we are working to achieve, to achieve free cash flow break even by the end of the year. And we will be maintaining a cash balance of at least a billion dollars. And what we have to do in order to do that is make sure that we continue to work hard to right size our costs, as, as Barry mentioned earlier, to align with the run rate of the business. So we will continue to do that in order to make sure that we achieve our goal of being break even free cash flow by the, by the second half. I would say, by the way, related to the retail footprint savings, not expecting any savings in FY23 for the cost okay. of, of, of rationalizing that distribution chain will mostly consume whatever savings we would otherwise realize. So the, the, the savings, if there are any, would happen in 24. In my nirvana, there wouldn't be any savings. We'd take that $50 million and we'd redeploy it in marketing to drive incremental growth. The question is, can we find ways to spend that cost effectively using our LTV to CAC framework. Thank you. One moment.
correct question. It comes from the line of Yusuf Squally from Truist. Your line is open. Thank you very much. I have a couple maybe for Gary. Um, on the Amazon partnership that you announced yesterday, arguably, you guys can do a lot more with Amazon. Um, wanted to understand just how you think about that partnership right now. It seems like based on the type of products you're allowing Amazon to sell or you're selling through Amazon, it's maybe fit the lower end of your good, better, best strategy. Um, is that kind of the way to think about your retail strategy, broadly speaking, or is it just versus DTC, or is that just as you try to learn more about that strategy since you've basically pivoted from DTC to a broader retail strategy? And then maybe um, can you just talk about the, uh, the status of pre-core within, within the company? What is the, the strategic rationale of keeping it? Um, uh, I'll let Liz uh, handle the pre-core. With respect to Amazon, um, I'd love to sell all of our connected business platforms on uh, on Amazon Good, Better, Best, um, but they need to be, um, at the moment, um, they need to have the, the ability to, to for consumers to opt in to self-install, and that's not possible with, with Byte Plus or Tread. And, um, and, and so until or unless that constraint changes uh, or we complete a redesign cycle, you, you won't see those, those platforms on Amazon. How important will it be? We don't know. Um, I, and, um, and, and, and we have modest assumptions in our forecast related to the impact of that business. Um, I hope it has tremendous upside, but you know, we won't know until we know. So we just, the, the point here is to begin the process of learning and then based on the learning, um, make smart operating decisions about um, how to leverage um, the learning into um, a profitable opportunity both for them and for us. And so that's the, that's the journey we're on. And same thing with FAST, and same thing with certified pre-owned, and same thing with the various flavors of digital app that we're going to be rolling out. So use your intuition to figure out what to test, and then use the data to inform you about how to react to the test results you're seeing, and take risk, and move fast, and don't be afraid to break stuff. With regard to pre-core, so there was a question in there about pre-core. Um, we're continuing to assess our strategy for pre-core, um, and it's, it's been helpful for us as we've been building our Peloton commercial business. Um, but with all the other things that we're working on, all of our supply chain work, the, the fast um, work that we've been doing, pre-core hasn't, the focus on pre-core hasn't been our highest, our highest priority area. And um, we, don't have, we don't have much else to share at this point. It is true. There have been other priorities that have consumed our, our focus and attention. I did say when I first joined that if it wasn't connected fitness related, it wasn't going to be part of our long-term strategy, and strategy needed to be about choice. All those things are true. Liz pointed out it's been very helpful to us. That acquisition has been very helpful to us with our commercial business. Our commercial business growing at about 35% year over year in terms of revenue. Like to lean into that, like to accelerate that growth, making that a priority to you know make that happen, and um, and in the fullness of time, we'll have we'll have more to say about pre-core, particularly now that we have more bandwidth to be able to, to think about the role it plays in our long-term strategy. That makes sense. Victor, we'll take one more question. 
Thank you. One moment. And our last question comes from the line of Arpine Kocharian from UBS. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. Um, thanks for taking my question. In terms of your previously announced 800 million of cost saves, and I, you know, appreciate that you're probably looking at many moving parts to that, but just if you could sort of bring it all together and outline what's latest on some of the buckets that you're looking at and overall cost savings you should be targeting sort of more medium term. Just trying to understand, have you identified any areas where that initial expectation of how much you could cut uh, could be much bigger than thought? And then as a quick follow-up, that now that you've done some testing of removing that upfront cost for the customer to have them pay higher subscription over time, do you have a more kind of updated sense of what incremental demand opportunity that is for you? Um, some numbers, if you could share what, whatever you're looking at. Thank you very much. Um, so with with regard to the cost savings, so I, I, I might, I, it was a little bit hard to hear on the phone, but I believe you're referring to the, um, the restructuring plan that we had laid out back in February, the $800 million, of which $500 million was OPEX, $300 million was COG. So we're actually tracking ahead of the $500 million OPEX target at this point. Um, and we'll continue, like we said, to right-size the cost structure of the business to align with the run rate of the business and whatever that requires. Um, some of the things that, that we've announced, the 3PL strategy shift is part of that cost savings opportunity. Uh, on, on COGS, um, sorry, that, that's, that's actually the 3PL shift is more related to the COGS side, excuse me. So on COGS, our savings is coming from that for the most part and also some headcount reductions. Um, for that $300 million piece, we said that that was going to take longer, and it will, in part because we have the in it's very dependent on inventory, and so that will take more time as we as we move through the inventory that we already have to be able to realize some of those cog savings. That's uh, a function of the way we account for inventory. Yeah. Um, and then I, I'm pretty sure I didn't understand the second piece of the question related to upfront cost and subscription. Now, now that you've done some testing of removing that upfront cost and have the customer pay higher subscription, do you have a, because last time you shared some sort of helpful numbers, do you have a more updated view or sense of what incremental demand that unlocks for you over time? Oh, I see. Um, this is related to the rental um, program with SAS, I think. That's right, yep. Um, well, is that in, I think at the what I said on the call earlier, I should reiterate here, we're currently at a run rate of about 40,000 units annually. And uh, I think a win for us would be something like 125, 150,000 a year. And so the, the opportunity and the challenge for us is, is to move it from where we are currently to, to that higher run rate. How big a challenge will that be? Well, we really haven't marketed it yet, and most people really don't know it exists. And when we do market it, it looks like it grows pretty fast. Um, uh, in, you know, in a, and I'm hesitant to like share any numbers because I, I, I really don't want it to be misleading. Um, there are a couple puts and calls which make reading the data a little dicey. Um, we have changed price points, um, so the value proposition, and so we detune the value proposition for consumers 
Um, then we included Bike Plus, then we removed Bike Plus, then we put, now we're putting Bike Plus back in. Um, when we put Bike Plus back in, we saw a 74% increase in volume over eight weeks, week over week. But if we were to look back, you know, to the prior week when we, when we had included Bike Plus in the mix, it was like a 35% increase over nine weeks. Okay, but it's still a 35% increase over nine weeks. And that's because we started to broaden the marketing of the FAST program and, and create awareness for it. So really the question is how high is the glass ceiling? And I don't know how long it will take us to get there. Um, 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 my intuition is that we're onto something really important. Um, the FAST users, as I said, are younger. It skews slightly more female. And a big surprise for me, they're actually more engaged than our core users, which isn't what I expected since they had a less of a financial investment in, in the product. Um, maybe that reflects the, the younger age demo. I'm, I'm not sure, and we'll have to see if that continues to scale as, as we broaden the market. But it's, it's quite clear that there's a big opportunity for us in the, in the, in the value-conscious segment of the marketplace. And so we're going for it. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for your time today. Hope you all have a good day.